I will reside over here to start today. Uh, you'll see why in a minute. I will return to my normal spot there a little later, okay? Anyone who doesn't like change, sorry. We're all right, good. How do you follow God faithfully when you're living in exile in Babylon? Um, I guess that's the question that Daniel and his friends have been asking throughout the book of Daniel that we have been looking at for the last few weeks. And if you've been around at all uh, at this time, you'll know that we're not looking at this as a a matter of historical interest, um, but very much seeing Daniel's story overlaid on our own as we ask a very, very similar question for ourselves. How do we faithfully live uh, for God in a world like ours, which does have some similarities to the exile into Babylon that Daniel found himself in with his friends in the Old Testament. And so what we're going to do today, very similarly uh, to as we've done the last few weeks, we're going to ask that question again. How do we do it? How do we faithfully live like this? And look to Daniel's example. Um, And we're going to do it by looking at a really great story uh, to help us along. The stories have been good so far, aren't they? Yeah, they've got, got fiery furnaces and you've got lions to come as well. We've still got the lions, which is great if you know the story of Daniel. Uh, today is, I think, it's, it's one of the, yeah, it's well, probably my favourite story in Daniel, this one today. It's a great story. I'm going to go through it with you. Uh, the words are not going to appear on the screen like last time. If you want a Bible, if you want to go through it in the Bible just to check that I'm not lying, <laughs> that it is actually in the Bible, um, Daniel 4 is where we'll be. But I need some help today. Uh, I need five helpers. And I know, looking around here, yeah, straight away, Elliot. Oh, look at this. He, he'll get, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see some. Mike, good work. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, that's what happens if you, uh, if you grass at your kids. Isn't that right, Eli and John? Yeah, very good. That's good. Um, you, you guys are more than welcome to take part. Any, anyone else? Okay, so this is what the, in the acting world is referred to as the wings. So if you can go and take a seat in the wings, wait in the wings over there. Uh, we, we, two more, come on. What's the worst that can happen? You've seen this before. Yeah, we could do with a demographic shift. Lovely lot that they are. Anyone, anyone, Verity, reluctantly, but at the same time, very faithfully, that's good. So we need one more. So it seems like one of those appeals you do at the end. Just one more. Come on. <laughs> to the front. <laughs> Come on. One more. One. Yeah, Paul, great stuff. He's, oh, he's, he's getting into part already. This is really good. I like this. Whoa, it's good. Wait in the wings with our, our merry band. That would be fantastic. Oh, good. Well, look, I think we've got a good crew. That works nicely. Okay. Uh, before we start Daniel 4, I want to introduce or reintroduce a couple of, uh, couple of characters that are going to be pretty important here. I think, well, I just do and think this through. Um, I think maybe Elliot will use first to come so he can get the, the main right. Elliot, up here. You need to wear this. This, of course, is who? King Nebuchadnezzar, come here. Uh, let's introduce you to King Nebuchadnezzar, the, the legend that is. Um, this guy's been involved in this Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. I uh, just want you to get in part while I, this is coming to help you. Um, he was responsible for the looting of Jerusalem. He sacked the temple. He kidnapped Daniel and his friends. Okay? Uh, he's the main man. He's the big cheese. He's the head honcho of Babylon. Yeah, we're going pantomime, are we? I see how it goes here. Okay. Um, that's the case, but as we've seen since the first chapter, he looked like he's the big cheese, but behind him there is a, a bigger authority. There's God reigns even in Babylon. We've seen that, okay? Now, just for you, mainly for your good, he needs to get into a role here. How would you describe, question to, to you guys, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's personality and character? Just well, give me one word, uh, a number of words we could use. Any, any words that we could use for him, just to help? Despot, do you know what that is? It's a dictator. Okay, it's pretty, pretty scary, this one, isn't it? <laughs> uh, any other words we could use? 
Unstable, yes. You good, yeah? Yeah, that, that grimace is perfect. Hold that thought. Unhinged, right? Is it, not Elliot. We're talking about Nebuchadnezzar here. Come on. Um, any other words we could use? Cruel, yes. We're getting the, you get the impression. He's arrogant. He's angry. He's a psychopath, basically. That's what we've seen all the way through, haven't we? Um, and I think we see that. We've seen it in all sorts of different ways. But even in the fact, and this, you're going to have to wrestle with this. This is where the acting ability comes in, which I've chosen you for this role. Because there is a character arc here. He has, he has softened slightly. As time is on, well, at least towards God, that's what we saw at the end. But even as he did it, he still managed to do it in a psychopathic way. Okay, so at the end of uh, chapter three, this is—he'd seen Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saved from the fire. <laughs> this was his response, which you'll see, kind of good, kind of not so good. Therefore, I make this decree, says Nebuchadnezzar: If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. Okay. Kind of good, <laughs> kind of not, kind of got it, okay? Have you got it? Nebuchadnezzar, you ready? Right, if you go back and wait over there, your, your time will arrive uh, in a moment. I think, uh, Elijah, you can be, you know, it's, it's a good role for you. I'm sorry about the silly hat, but it is important in a way. You're Daniel, our young hero, okay? He might not, sorry, it looks kind of gnome-like, I'm sorry. It's meant to show... <laughs> It's meant to show rulership and authority, okay? But it's good. It's rulership, gold. It's not quite the crown of Nebuchadnezzar, but it's here. Now, Daniel is one of the young nobles deported to Babylon for cultural realignment, i.e. brainwashing, uh, in Babylonian ways. But Daniel, you have remained faithful, haven't you? You're a good, you're a good egg, okay? You remain faithful uh, all along. And um, um, you've climbed up the ladder of Babylonian society, hence the gold hat. In this passage, you'll see his title is given to him. He is Chief of the Magicians. Now, don't think Harry Potter so much on this one. I think we're thinking more like, in that culture, it's a wise man. It's, you're at the heart of the Babylonian government. You are on the cabinet. You know? Yeah, that was good. Do that. That was very good. I like that. You're into role. This guy's a hero, basically. So you can go and sit down again. You'll be brought in in a minute. So you can get the heroic mindset. You, you other guys, you, you, uh, you will be in, but you'll see. It will come along a bit later. Is everyone ready? You guys ready? Let's do this. You didn't say you were ready. You're nervous. <laughs> this is what is going to happen here. Okay, Daniel 4. This is how it goes. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and na- nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. Don't worry about it for the moment, Nebuchadnezzar. I'll bring you in a minute. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. Hmm, it's a strange start. How great are his signs, how powerful his wonders. His kingdom will last forever, his rule through all generations. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar, you can't appear. Uh, I, Nebuchadnezzar, sorry, just as you know, you're kind of di- narrating the whole thing, Your Majesty, but uh, if you don't see it, it's too much of a front, I will be your mouthpiece. Is that okay? Okay, if you could take a seat here um, and just do what you need to do. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. But one night, I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. So I issued an order, calling in all the wise men of Babylon, so they could tell me what my dream meant. When all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers, who are not part of our ensemble, uh, came in, I told them the dream, but they could not tell me what it meant. At last, Daniel came in before me, and I told him the dream. Daniel, if you sit down there. He was named Belteshazzar after my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Daniel, great. So far, brilliant. Just Nebuchadnezzar, I want to check something. Are you okay? You just, you all right? 
You're a bit annoyed. I'm thinking the opposite, actually. He's, he's lost it a little bit. He's, he's lost his edge. What about all the tell me my dream or I'll raise your house to the ground sort of stuff? We saw in chapter two, didn't we? He was like, I don't want to just know what it means. I want to know what it is. You, you kind of, I don't know. Do you want to check you're feeling all right? You're not sick? He's softened a little. We've noticed that already, haven't we? Okay, we'll come back to that uh, in a minute. He says, it's okay, so I'll go with that. I said to him, Nebuchadnezzar still speaking, Belteshazzar, which is Daniel, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now, tell me what my dream means. While I was lying on my bed, this is what I dreamed. Okay, I will need, you three are in, I think here. I think it's Mike for this one, okay? Uh, you're going to be a tree. Sorry, guys, you don't get a backstory. You're just characters in a dream. So if you get into, if any of you ever seen a David Lynch film, that's the thing. Oh, no, no, that is not, no, Mike, come on. No production value is spared here. <laughs> right, we'll have those, please. Right, there you are. Right, if you could stand forward a bit, don't want to... Uh, Drop a banana on the drums or something, or on the head. Right, okay. I saw, this is, this is the dream, uh, which Nebuchadnezzar is relating to Daniel. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong. <laughs> My bananas! Reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves, and it was loaded with fruit to all to eat. Thank you very much, everybody. Yes. Wild animals, oh, I didn't quite manage this bit. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. Oh, you, you've got a great role, haven't you? You must be very glad I chose you for this one. Yeah, yeah okay, good. Uh, then, as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, guys, you're not the messenger, but you can do what he says. You'll need these. Here you go. Verity, thank you. Uh, that will do nicely. You all right, Martin? Nothing, nothing to fear here. Cut down the tree and lop off its branches. <laughs> right, be careful with the branches. I need them for north side, but metaphorically speaking. Shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Don't do that, whatever you do, but do it metaphorically. Chase the wild animals from its shade and the bird from its branches. He doesn't look very cut down. I think you maybe need a bit more effort on this one. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's really good. Now, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. You guys have still got a role. You've got to kind of, you're still working on this. Mike suggested this, so uh, in a way. You have to be over here. Um, now, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. For seven periods of time, let him have the mind of a wild animal. Good. Very good. Instead, the, the mind of a human. I stand back here. It could be anything. But this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the holy ones so that everyone may know that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world, he gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Good stuff. Oh, we didn't do the last bit, did we? He needs to be put in a... I, I missed a bit. Not only is he cut down but he's also stuck with his band of gold, uh, band over him. I don't have a band of gold, but I do have a net, which Mike suggested on Facebook I should bring. So this is all good. Let's net him. Very good. I missed that bit in my enthusiasm, but there he is. Right, good job. That is fantastic. What a good sport the tree is. Round of applause for our tree. No, 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 don't move though. It's uh, lucky that's not going to have to happen in the story again, isn't it? Right, great. You can have the net back if you could put it back in its... Um, in his box. Thanks, guys. And you three can take uh, 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 your seat back in the wings, so to speak. 
Let's return to you two then. Belteshazzar, that was the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means, for none of the wise men of my kingdom can do so. But you can tell me because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Oh yeah, that's good. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in the dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not to you. Tree, we're going to need you again. Up you come. Bring your branches. <laughs> He's good. He's getting our money's worth out of this. I'm going to be paid back for this badly, I know. it. Anyway, um, the tree you saw was growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. That tree, your majesty, is you. Wait a minute. Well, in that case, we don't need you anymore, do we? Give a round of applause for our tree. Nebuchadnezzar, take these. You're the tree. This is good. Thanks, Mike. You can go and sit down. That's, uh, that's you. You're done. Brilliant. We have another tree. Okay. You, your majesty, are that tree, for you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to heaven and your rule to the ends of the earth. Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it. Yes. You thought you had a good role here, Nebuchadnezzar. He's got him. But leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with my son's football goal from the garden that I only just managed to clean this morning, um, with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Get him, net him. What's that? that have you seen Horton Hears a Who? Has anyone seen that film? It's a great bit that. Net him. Yes, we got him. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. <laughs> This is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to my lord the king. You will be driven from human society, and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way, until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Just a point, we've had that line before. Look out for it again, okay? It's a key line. But the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground, you'll be glad to hear. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. Daniel continues, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. These guys have done a fantastic job. Can we give them all a big round of applause? Thank you so much. If you could just net back in the box. Thanks, Elijah. Fantastic. And trees onto the uh, thing. That worked okay. I, I need to remember one bit of the story in future, but apart from that, all good. Those bananas are still edible, which will be great for later. Excellent. Just saying, we've not finished the chapter, but we're finished, I think, for the need for, for uh, our environmental terrorists, our tree and our, our other characters. Um, a few chapters ago, we had a bit where I, I, I said, oh, there's a dramatic pause at this point. What does Nebuchadnezzar do? Is Nebuchadnezzar going to get cross when Daniel says this? And in this one, you would imagine the same thing. And I, I didn't want them to imagine it because we don't know what happened. It doesn't tell us. What does Nebuchadnezzar do when Daniel says to him, repent from your wicked ways and break from your evil past? The king of the biggest empire in the world with a tendency for flying off the handle. We, we just don't know what happened. What we do know in the story and what the t story says now is actually what happens as a result of this dream. But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. 
As he looked out across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. Nothing wrong with admiring, admiring things, particularly things you're involved with, but listen to what he says. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal re- re- residence to display my majestic splendor. Can there be a more uh, succinct description of pride? I did it for me by my power. That's what he says, okay? While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn what's been the message all along. This has been the message all along. It's the third time we've heard it in the story that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honoured the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. Remember, this is still Nebuchadnezzar speaking. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true and he is able to humble the proud. There we have it, Daniel chapter 4. But not just chapter 4, this is the end of Nebuchadnezzar's contribution to this book. He's been there since verse 1 of the first chapter, okay? And we're not going to see him again in the story. And the whole of Nebuchadnezzar's role in this book has effectively been a dramatic demonstration of that. If you think, what's Nebuchadnezzar doing here? What do we learn from his story? That's it. It's given to us three times in this chapter. The most high rules over the kingdoms of the world... Even over Babylon, the biggest empire the world had ever seen up to that point, And he gives them to anyone he chooses. And we've seen this kind of reality asserted in one way or another through Nebuchadnezzar's story. But here, amazingly, he's not just a cautionary tale to tell you this. He says this. He gets round at the end to admitting this reality. Listen to his prayer at the end. God's rule is everlasting, Nebuchadnezzar says, and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. It's an amazing story, amazing turnaround. That's the main point, I think, of the entire book of Daniel, is, you know what? Remember, who, however intimidating the powers that be are, they are not the ultimate power. God is. God's in charge. It's absolutely vital for us to remember as Christians if we're going to navigate our path faithfully through a, a, a society and a culture like ours. And so that's the main point of this chapter, no question. And that's the main point of this whole book, I think. But then if you've not caught it, we, all the other talks we've done have, are online. I'd really encourage you to go to them because without this, you're going to be stuck, really. But I don't want to dwell on that. I want to dwell on something else that's going on in the background uh, here. That it's been in the background in this chapter. And it's in the background of every other chapter we've seen. But it's really easy to miss because it's so simple in the story. Let's think of this question. How... 
What's the method that God uses to bring about this incredible change in Nebuchadnezzar? How does God glorify his name in Babylon? How does he do it? What's his method? Well, he does it, doesn't he, through his, his servants, through his people, through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we saw last time, and of course, mainly through Daniel. But how does Daniel do it? How does Daniel do this stuff? Well, you could say, well, it's because of his incredible uh, skill and, and, and ability to, to interpret dreams. And yeah, that's probably helped him out on a number of occasions, definitely. could say it's because of his pious, faithful commitment to Yahweh. And definitely is. We're going to see more about that later. But actually, there's something much more basic going on here, without which the, the other two things would have had no impact at all. Actually, on, on Nebuchadnezzar, that's for certain. The key thing here, and the reason that Nebuchadnezzar, is, Daniel is used here, is that he chooses to participate in Babylon. He chooses to participate in Babylon. How do we live faithfully to God in Babylon? Well, Daniel's example shows us that faithfulness isn't about withdrawal. No, actually, we can and probably we should get involved, participate, engage, even at the heart of the culture around us. I want to just, just leave that with you for a moment. And I just want you, I'm not going to ask for hands or anything, but I want to ask that how that sits with you. Thinking, well, we've got a few minutes left. We're gonna, Johnny's obviously going to talk about this. How does that feel? Do you, do you think that's great? Good week? Bad week? Is this yay? Is it hmm? Is it boo? Okay. Could be any of those three. I wonder, I imagine there are two extremes in this room with obviously lots of people uh, in the middle. And I think one extreme could well be kind of pumping your fists at this. Yes! I love it when we preach about stuff like this at Church Central. Of course we're meant to be involved. Christians should be represented in every sector of society. We should be looking to influence the culture. Like, well, what image could we use? Maybe like yeast in some dough. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said. Maybe that's it. And uh, maybe if you put it like this, engaging with culture, if you want to put it like that, uh, that's your thing. That's it. You, you, you go to the conferences on engaging with culture. You, you buy the paperbacks on engaging with the culture. You listen to the podcast on engaging with culture. That's your thing. And so you're over here, okay? okay which side have I put? There's a, there's a line here. Can we have the next slide? I'll just make sure I get the right side. Yeah, you're over, you're over here, okay? And that's you. But my guess would be there would be some who would be over here. And you might not say out loud, but you might be a little wary of this kind of talk. And you hear this maybe a lot at Church Central and uh, in the Christian culture in general. You know, be like, mm, yeah, get it. But in a sense, I don't get it. Surely this world in its present form is passing away, isn't it? The Bible says that. We must not get too attached to the world around us. Surely it'd be wise and righteous to keep a safe distance. We're called to be a holy people. What does a holy people mean? It means means set apart. It means special. It means distinct. We should maintain a distinctiveness about us. Otherwise, what are we going to offer anyone else out there in our community, if we're just like, yeah, we're engaging, we just look just like them, we're so relevant, we're uh, doing all these things. And you'd be very much on the other side. And there's lots of people in the middle. Uh, again, I'm not going to go for a show of hands, but I wonder if we've got those two things going on. And it might sound like a strange thing to say, but I think the Bible could be read in a way that would support both extremes. I could list up a load of verses for you on both sides. I could probably preach a sermon on both sides, arguing each extreme on this one. 
And maybe because of that, what's happened in church history is the church has seemed to bounce from one extreme to the next extreme, generation to generation. And that's definitely true in recent times. Uh, and if you look through all church history, it would be quite similar. Now, what do we do when we see something like this? I mean, for us, I think nowadays, it's, probably, it's a broad brushstroke, probably would be the case. The trend at the moment, where the ball's bouncing at the moment, is over here. This is, at the moment, the key thing. Embrace culture, influence culture, engage culture. And you'll know that if you've been around Church Central for any length of time. We're, we're kind of more on this side of things in how we present stuff often. But any of you who are kind of a little bit older would know that about 30 years ago, the ball was definitely not bouncing on that side. It was bouncing on that side. Okay, I remember as a kid, it was the keep our distance, be distinct, be suspicious of culture message was far more fashionable. What do we do with that then? How do we deal with that? Well, I'll tell you what we need to do then. We need to really be very careful on these issues. We need to be humble on these issues, and we need to make sure that we are not just bouncing around, as Paul says, on every wind of teaching. Now, we need to see, now, how are we going to navigate this faithfully? Because, actually, there is a cultural application, contextualization, but there is also a, just a chasing after fads. And we don't, God doesn't want to just chase after fads, even in the Christian world. I think, actually, one of the wonderful things the Bible does to help us with such tricky issues is that it just doesn't just give us lists of teachings on things. What does it give us? It gives us stories. That's what it gives us. Why do you have so many stories? Well, sometimes the, te- and the teachings are very important, obviously, but sometimes it's a tricky one. We wonder, well, yeah, yeah, I see this, and I see this, but how do I live that out? And the Bible says, I'll show you. Here's a story. Here's, here's a picture of someone who did live this out faithfully. And you'd never guess who's a good example of this. Who is it? Daniel. Daniel is exactly such a, a story. So as we draw to a close, let's focus in then. What do we learn from Daniel about how we can show wisdom in our participation in a culture when we're in a culture like ours then? Got three things, and then I'm just going to finish at the end with just crunching them down into two practical application points for us, okay? My three things are really wordy. It's just to explain them will be the main, main goal, but you'll get it, okay? First thing we see from Daniel is our posture should be participation, although we make gestures of withdrawal. (laughs) The red didn't work. Note to self, yellow in future. Our posture should be participation, although we make gestures of withdrawal. What else does that mean? Let's explain myself, okay? A guy called Andy Crouch, in an excellent book on this subject called Culture Making, a few years ago, he made this um, distinction between what our posture should be and what our gestures should be. And he argued that, first of all, we should get our posture one way with culture, and then from there we should work out what our gestures should be. Now, our posture, what's our posture? Well, our posture is, for the nerds amongst us, our learned but unconscious default position. Nerds got that? Good. Uh, He continues, for the rest of us, our natural stance. Our natural stance. I don't know what your posture's like, but I know for some of you, you would have a good posture. Walk with your back up, head up, that sort of thing. That's a good posture. And I would imagine, because you're such upstanding, literally in this case, uh, members of the community, um, we wouldn't think about that. We're not thinking, quick, head up, like this. You just do it, don't you? You walk how you walk. Your posture is how it is. It's unthinking. It's your default position. It's what you do naturally. But let's imagine you are this person with very good posture. There will be gestures that you make in your life that will go against your posture. You may need to 
bend down to do your laces up, potentially. You may stoop to put a letter through, an uh, letter through a letterbox. You may bow your head in prayer, potentially. Can you see? There's a, a normal posture, but there are gestures that could go for or against uh, your posture as well. Now, I think this is a really helpful distinction here because often the conversation about engage or withdraw is often framed as always do this, never do this. And that's not very helpful to us. It makes a lot more sense to think, well, what's our normal position? What, what should we normally do? What's our posture? And from there, work out, well, how then can we act faithfully and appropriately in individual situations? What gestures should we be prepared for? Do you understand the gesture-posture thing? Does that make sense, okay? Well, I think when we look at Daniel, and actually every other character in the Old Testament who lives outside of Israel, we see that our posture surely must be participation. Joseph, Esther, Nehemiah, Daniel. Our posture must be participation. Have a <laughs> I don't know about you guys. Uh, maybe it's just me. I know it's not just me, it's me and my wife as well. Um, but we often find ourselves daydreaming about just doing the opposite, just getting away from it all. Do you ever do that? Think, uh, good, there's a few, few at the front. I'm with you guys, okay? Just thinking, I just want to go somewhere. We, for us, it's the, the we, this is completely idealistic, the, the, the Outer Hebrides. I don't even know where that is, but like the, the fields of Scotland. Let's move up there. What, why? Why are we thinking that? <laughs> I'm, I'm now appealing to Mike so he doesn't do something bad to me but anyway yeah we're, I'm with you so move to Scotland in the hills or something because I find modern life living in a city really complicated I find it really difficult I, I think about my son is going to secondary school next year it's like how can we let him go through that like what challenges to his faith are there going to be there his faith is so like immature and just great it seems to flourish in so much think am I really going to let him go there what about me what about my faith how are we going to uh, how can we keep living in this environment that's such a pressure on us? Add to that over the last five to ten years, the complexities of ethical decisions when you're participating in a culture. And if you've noticed this, sorry to be a downer if you haven't, we have all have blood on our hands, everyone. Do you know that? We all, we're complicit in a global system that is doing awful things all around the world. And every shop we shop in, and every uh, online, uh, online outlet we use, and everything we buy, usually we find out because communication is so good nowadays, and globalization in, is, makes everything so interdependent, is actually this is having a bad effect here. And for all those reasons, there's this desire to withdraw that I think is a kind of newer desire as well. And so me and Gemma often have that conversation. I think that God has put stories like Daniel in the Bible to make us treat such daydreams with extreme caution. I'm not saying that no one should ever move to the country. Definitely not, no one should ever move to Scotland. Scotland's a great, great place. I'm just saying that you could do that for good reasons, but you could do that for bad reasons. And if the reason is to get away, all you're essentially saying is, let's leave the world to burn itself down here. We're not gonna play a part. That's not what God calls for his people on the whole. And yes, it's murky. Yes, it's complicated. Yes, participating in culture means participating in a world that we have to get this is against us as Christians. This is what I think some of the engaged crew don't seem to say enough. Is this world is not friendly to us as Christians. It's against us. It's trying deliberately to undermine us. We've got to be clear on that. We've got to understand that. But then we've got to say, yes, but our posture should still be one of participation and still be one of getting involved. How about... 
from there, <laughs> you might think that's muddy itself, things get much more muddy <laughs> in the story of Daniel about how to do that. So the first thing is our posture should be participation, although we make gestures of withdrawal. Secondly, uh, even more wordy, I have to explain this one. Second point, Daniel participates more than most of us would be comfortable with, but refuses to participate in things most of us wouldn't care about. Let's think about this for a second, okay? The thing that has struck me most in this book is something that I had never thought about before, but is fundamental to the book of Daniel. Daniel is part of the Babylonian government. I'll just say that one more time. Daniel is part of the Babylonian government. What is Babylon? Babylon is the nation or empire that has become synonymous with evil. That means in the New Testament, when Rome is doing awful things, burning Christians and all sorts in the book of Revelation, they think, hmm, what can we call Rome? We'll call it Babylon. Because Babylon represents everything that is wicked about an empire. I'll say it again. Daniel is a member of the Babylonian government. That means when Daniel goes to work in the morning, and this isn't just for a short while, this is for decades of his life, his energies, intellect, and gifts are going into serving the Babylonian empire. He works to make Babylon flourish. Basically, Daniel gives decades of his life to help this stronghold of debauchery, oppression, and injustice thrive. I wonder if you've ever thought about that before. It's a slightly different spin on it, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, a world, I think our world is a world where tr- the trends in our wider culture, not in our church culture, but in wider culture, would be to boycott companies to no platform speakers, if you're familiar with that sort of language, and basically guilt by association, I think in a culture like ours, Daniel's uh, attitude here is not necessarily obviously a righteous one. So, as I said, Daniel is prepared to participate more than most of us would be comfortable with. But you may say, you say, yes, that's fine, but he does draw the line, doesn't he? he? He puts his foot down on occasions, and he does very bravely. He often puts his foot down at least two occasions, it looks like he's going to get killed for it. And he says, no, no, I ain't, I ain't doing that, though. I'm not participating in that. And if they say, think, wow, must be big stuff that he puts his foot down on then. Must be the uh, Babylonian expansionist foreign policy crushing all in its way. He must speak up against that, surely. Maybe he speaks up against the uh, sex slavery from the, 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 the temple prostitutes that they used to have in Babylon. Does he speak up against that? Does he speak up against the vicious corporal punishment where criminals would regularly have their noses chopped off or their hands chopped off if they did things wrong? Does he speak up on that? No, not as far as we know. He, he seems to leave those things. Where does he put his foot down? puts his foot down on eating certain food and drinking certain wine and on praying. So the first, that was in chapter 1. Praying will be in chapter 6. Wow, it's remarkable. What's even more strange is that technically, according to the letter of the law, he didn't need to get in trouble on either of those things. As a devout Jew, there was no, it's very hard to see. Commentators have different opinions on this in chapter one. Why did he not want to eat the food and drink? It, it doesn't go against the law of Moses specifically. Actually, as you'll see, spoiler alert, chapter six, Daniel and the lion's den stuff. He could, if you know the story, have closed the window when he was praying. (laughs) He could have stuck in the corner. He didn't need to get in the problems he'll get into in the next sermon that you'll see about. So here we have an example of someone participating more than most of us would be comfortable with, but refusing to participate in things most of us wouldn't care about. Hmm, 
That's interesting. Final thing. Daniel is respectful and polite when most of us would be confrontational. And he's confrontational when most of us would back away. He's respectful and polite when most of us would be confrontational. And he's confrontational when most of us would back away. Two examples here, really quickly. Daniel 2. If you were here for the talk, if you know the story, you can remember. Otherwise, I'll sum up for you. Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar. Good old Elliot, wherever he is. It's good, very good acting, but I really like that. Uh, he was really, he was a different, he was a different person altogether then. Uh, he gives the most unjust decree that you could imagine. He says, kill all of the wise men in Babylon just because they can't read my mind. That's, that's chapter two for you. It's the most awful, despotic, dictatorial behavior that you could possibly imagine. This is like Stalin, Hitler, Idi Amin sort of stuff going on here. And so he sends the commander of the guard to Daniel and his friends because they're among the wise men. And you'd surely think now, okay, Daniel, you've been laying low for a bit, but mate, now's your time. Stand up. You're going to die anyway. Speak truth to power. Come on, do it. If you're going to go down, go down swinging for truth, liberty, and justice. Why don't you? Save the wise men. Or at least make it clear you're not into this. What does he do? He says this in Daniel 2.14. Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. Strange. Doesn't make a fuss, doesn't call out the injustice. He's tactful, he's discreet, he even comes across being very polite and respectful. That's chapter two. Let's fast forward to chapter four, shall we? Just the story we've heard today. It's a different thing. We've got Elliot now, is, is Nebuchadnezzar. He's, he's really softened. He's, he's started in his own special way, seeking after the God of heaven. He's no longer killing people at random. He's simply asking, guys, I need you to interpret my dream. And let's face it as well, he's, he's visibly upset from a disturbing dream. So what does Daniel do? Most of us would be like, oh, good, this guy's on the right path. Let's nudge him gently. You know, we'll just live, live a righteous life in front of him. That's what Daniel does. Verse 27, it couldn't be much more blunt. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past. It's not exactly seeker-friendly, is it? Whatever Daniel's doing here, this is not a simple case of engage with culture or withdraw from culture. He's not just picked up the latest paperback and unthinkingly applying the theological trends from the podcast he's just been listening to. No, Daniel's navigating his own bespoke path here. Before the complexities and the questions, we're very clear on this. He's put up as an example for us to follow by God. So very quickly to close, practically, how can we apply this? First thing is just repeating what I said already. Second thing, just putting it into an application. How do we apply this? Firstly, I'd want to encourage you, assume the posture of participation. That's good. My, my points are a bit unwieldy, but there's an alliteration there for you. Assume the posture of participation. I could just keep saying that for ages, but uh, I won't. <laughs> assume the posture of participation. I'll say it one more time. Okay. I want to, I want to encourage you to participate in the world around you. Resist the urge to withdraw and escape and hide away. And for some of you, it won't be the Outer Hebrides that you're seeking to withdraw to. Do you know what it'll be? The Lords of the Girls School on a Sunday morning. It'll be the friendship groups you have at church. It'll be the Christian charity or church that offers you a job to save you from the chaos of that workplace you work in. Let's be very clear, I work for a church. <laughs> and I'm not saying working for a Christian charity is bad. I'm just saying that sometimes that can be escaping. 
could be crafting your entertainment program completely within the Christian subculture. Christian movies, Christian books, Christian music. And the thing is, for some of us, those things I've just said have been presented to you as holiness. That's what holiness is. Holiness is keep away. No, no. When we look at the heroes of the Bible, holiness is get involved, but still remain faithful. That's what holiness is. It's a different thing. And just to be clear, this won't make your life easier. This is going to present you with significant challenges to your faith. The world is not friendly to Christians. The, the Bible's clear. The New Testament's clear. There are powers behind the powers that are seeking deliberately to undermine your faith. And they're powerful and they're strong and we don't take them for granted. We don't get complacent around them. So as we participate, then how do we survive? How do we thrive in Babylon? Well, this is the last thing I want to say. We assume the position, posture of participation. First thing, final thing. I'd really encourage you, work hard on your inner spiritual life to tune your conscience. I think that the only way to live in a world like ours, to participate at the heart of our culture, is to foster a depth of intimacy with God that means that our consciences are so finely tuned to his voice and the promptings of his spirit that we can respond to him in the moment. That we know his heart, that we have the mind of Christ as is put in the New Testament. There's not a rule book for participation in Babylon. If you go in to participate in culture and you've just got a list of do's and don'ts, you're going to sink pretty quickly. Probably you'll just withdraw very quickly. Because in Babylon... I wonder if some of you know this experience. I can think of specific things where this is the case. In Babylon, sometimes you have to say yes to things that your Christian friends will misinterpret and think are sinning. Has anyone ever been in a situation like that? There's such grey areas in Babylon that you're there and you think, I can't do the right thing here. I just can't do it. I have to do the least bad thing. That's what I have to do. And God says, yes, that's what I want to do. That's what faithfulness is here. And then you tell someone, and they're like, oh, right, you compromised. In Babylon, sometimes you've just got to say yes to things that seem problematic. And sometimes, weirdly, you have to say no to things that you could totally get away with and no one would care about. But God just says, no, draw the line right there. That's where you draw it. And you say, why? What is no, do it. Do that. I don't know if anyone can identify with that. And please be clear, you don't get a conscience like that given to you when you become a Christian. And it's not given to you purely through the laying on of hands. How does it happen? Yes, it's being filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's with knowing Jesus as your saviour. But it's a product of deep, long-term, disciplined work with the Holy Spirit on your relationship with God. It's no coincidence that Daniel is one of the characters in the Bible who most successfully navigates Babylon but he's also one of the characters in the Bible whose devotional life is most brought to the fore. In chapter 2, if he doesn't pray, he dies. So what does he do? He prays. Chapter 6, you'll see next time, the law is made the opposite. If he prays, he dies. So what does he do? You'll never guess. What does he do? He prays. In chapter 9, as you'll see in a few weeks, we find him deeply invested in the study of scriptures, fasting and passionately praying for his people. Guys, I want to present you with a dangerous mission today. And for those of you who think of cultural engagement as a call to freedom 
and a license to be edgy and a chance not to be stuck up like your parents, I want to get a big pin to that balloon. I want to pop it right now because this is perilous stuff. Babylon is out to get you. And it's involved in some dark, inhuman, barbaric practices that it wants to suck you into. However, we are called to serve it at the same time as we're called to bring it down. I just want to ask you, do you think you can do that on your own? Honestly. I think you have the capability to achieve that goal, to navigate that bespoke path on your own. My, my encouragement to you would be this. Please, please, please attend to your inner spiritual life, to your relationship with God. Set aside time to pray. Come up with a Bible reading plan and persevere with it. Build days of fasting into your week-to-week routines. Why? Well, just because. That's what faithfulness to God looks like in our day and age. And it's in every day and age. It's just the stakes are a little higher in Babylon, I think. We do it neither for results or for glory or reputation. But with that said, who knows what Nebuchadnezzars you may come across who might come to worship the God of heaven because of a life lived like that. I'm going to pray for you.